Good morning. I'm Paige Winfield Cunningham from The Washington Post, and this is The Daily 202 for Wednesday, January 27th. In today's news, Democrats turn to quick action on Biden's COVID relief bill after a power-sharing deal in the Senate. And CDC-backed studies find scant spread of the coronavirus in schools. But first, here's the big idea. Yesterday, President Biden laid out a bill of complaint against Russian President Vladimir Putin, airing allegations of human rights abuses, cyber spying, and more, making a hard pivot away from the deference that former President Donald Trump often displayed toward Russia. The Post's Anne Guerin and Karen DeYoung report that the phone call was Biden's first known contact as president with an adversarial foreign leader. It came as the United States has joined European nations and others in condemning the detention of Russian opposition leader Alexei Navalny and after a crackdown on street protests. Yesterday, the U.S. joined the other G7 nations in condemning what a statement called, quote, the politically motivated arrest and detention of Navalny, who was taken into custody earlier this month upon his return to Russia from Germany, where he had recuperated after a poisoning attempt blamed on the Russian state. White House Press Secretary Jen Psaki said Biden's agenda for the call with Putin included protest of, quote, ongoing Russian aggression against Ukraine, and he confronted Putin over the, quote, solar winds espionage case, as well as an alleged interference in U.S. elections and the alleged offer to pay bounties for the deaths of U.S. troops serving in Afghanistan. Throughout his presidency, Trump refused to pin blame on Russia for actions ranging from 2016 election interference to the attempted assassination of a British former spy, plus the poisoning of Navalny last year, the alleged bounties, and the extensive cyber hack that affected U.S. federal agencies and corporations. In each of these cases, other elements of the U.S. government blamed Russia. Biden also made an expected offer to Putin to extend a key arms control agreement. The pact, known as New Start, is the last remaining nuclear arms treaty between the former Cold War enemies, and the timing of Biden's call was partly driven by the clock. The pact would expire next week unless extended by both nations, something the U.S. can do without congressional approval. Russia and the U.S. traded documents to extend the pact for five years. The Kremlin also released a readout of the call between the two leaders— it did not mention the issues Saki listed and took an optimistic tone about cooperation under Biden's presidency. Trump repeatedly declined to challenge Putin in public or in private. He took Putin's word over that of U.S. intelligence services that Russia was not involved in undermining the 2016 presidential election and equivocated about Russian culpability in numerous other areas. Trump had 18 one-on-one -on -one calls with Putin over four years, according to a Kremlin readout. On a number of occasions, the White House did not even acknowledge the calls until after an announcement by Moscow, and some reported by Moscow do not appear in archived public White House records. And that's the big idea. Here are two other stories that should be on your radar today. Number one. Yesterday, Senate Majority Leader Chuck Schumer said the Senate could vote as soon as next week on a budget bill setting the stage for party-line passage of President Biden's $1.9 trillion pandemic relief plan. According to the Post Erica Warner, Mike DeBonis, and Sungmin Kim, Schumer's comments came after Minority Leader Mitch McConnell signaled he would move forward with a power-sharing agreement governing operations of the 50-50 Senate. 
McConnell had sought assurances from Schumer that Democrats would not eliminate the filibuster, that 60-vote supermajority requirement to move most legislation. Schumer refused, but after two centrist Senate Democrats committed publicly to upholding the filibuster, McConnell relented. McConnell's capitulation ended a days-long standoff that had held up Senate operations and threatened to stall Biden's agenda before it could even get off the ground. The first priority for Biden and congressional Democrats is action on a new COVID-19 relief package at a precarious moment for the pandemic and the economy. Publicly, the Biden administration is courting Republican support, and Schumer held out hope of GOP backing. But a number of leading Republicans, including McConnell, have panned Biden's plan as too costly, and behind the scenes, Democrats are making plans to move forward without them. Democratic leaders in both chambers are tentatively planning to introduce a budget resolution on Monday that could come to a vote later in the week. The resolution would instruct committees to write legislation codifying Biden's pandemic relief plan. Under special rules governing the budget resolution process, the resolution could pass the Senate with only a simple majority vote. The subsequent COVID-19 relief bill could also pass with a simple majority, even without eliminating the filibuster. Getting all Senate Democrats unified behind the plan could prove a challenge, especially since some have expressed discomfort with some aspects of it. But Schumer insisted Tuesday his caucus was unified on the need to do big things, and he also said that proceeding under budget reconciliation did not preclude Republican votes. Biden's plan provides for a new round of $1,400 stimulus checks, an extension of emergency unemployment benefits, an increased child tax credit, more than $130 billion for schools, $160 billion for a national vaccination strategy, and an increase in the federal minimum wage to $15 an hour. There's money for rental assistance and extending an eviction moratorium. Enhanced unemployment benefits are set to expire in mid-March if Congress does not act first, as are moratoriums on evictions and foreclosures. Administration officials and congressional Democrats point to that deadline as underscoring the need for fast action. The administration has been in discussions with a 16-member bipartisan group that has raised issues, including whether stimulus checks could be more targeted, something Biden indicated Monday he is open to. Democrats are attempting to move quickly to take the first steps advancing the coronavirus relief legislation, partly because the Senate is set to convene the week of February 8th to start Trump's impeachment trial, which will take an unknown period of time. Number two. New CDC-backed research finds scant coronavirus transmission in schools operating in person. There has been far less spread in schools compared with nursing homes and high-density work sites, particularly when masks and distancing are employed. Researchers concluded it's safe to reopen schools with good prevention measures. According to my reporting, evidence has been mounting that kids transmit the virus less than adults. Last August, a United Kingdom study found very few coronavirus cases when hundreds of thousands of kids were sent back to school. A database created by Brown University professor Emily Oster has shown extremely low infection rates in both public and private schools. Yet one-third of all K-12 school districts in the United States are offering only virtual learning, leaving millions of kids without critical educational and social support as teachers' unions continue to refuse in-person learning. Some are resisting classroom instruction even as teachers get priority access to the vaccines. In Fairfax County, Virginia, where vaccines for teachers and administrators began a week ago, the school board is delaying reopening under pressure from the union. The union's president, 
who has received the first vaccine dose, has said she won't support a return to full-time in-classroom learning, even in the fall. Public schools in Montclair, New Jersey, were supposed to reopen for a partial in-person learning on Monday. But the district abruptly reversed course late Friday after the township's powerful teachers' union stepped in. In Chicago, the teachers' union voted over the weekend to resist a planned Monday return to in-person instruction, forcing Chicago public schools to delay things as negotiations continue. And in Maryland, Governor Larry Hogan has threatened consequences for school districts that refuse to start bringing students back for in-person classes by March. President Biden has promised to reopen most K-12 schools during his first 100 days as president. He has asked Congress for $130 billion to help offset costs and promised better guidance from his administration on how to do so safely. And one more thing before I go. This is an intense moment in American history. In times like these, I'm grateful for all my colleagues at The Washington Post. Our reporters work around the clock and around the world to uncover the stories that are shaping our lives and to bring context to the historical events happening around us. Their reporting is what drives this podcast. And truly, it wouldn't be possible without subscriber support. If you enjoy this podcast and you'd like to support the reporting that goes into it, the best way to do so is through a subscription to The Post. A subscription gets you unlimited access to everything we publish. This week only, listeners can get two years of access for just $59. That's less than a dollar a week. Learn more and subscribe at WashingtonPost.com slash subscribe. That's WashingtonPost.com slash subscribe. I hope you consider it, and thanks. That's The Daily 202 for Wednesday, January 27th. I'm Paige Winfield Cunningham. Thanks for listening. Thank you.